It's time for the View in Your Mirror podcast. I'm Katie Harms, and along with Lisa Rubin, we help you check in and curate the best possible you and the best view in your mirror. We share tips, tricks, and strategies from our 35 plus years in our respective industries. We talk about your day from morning to night and everything in between. We share our uniqueness, relish in our shared experiences. Along the way, we share conversation with fabulous people who give us their own thought-provoking insights. So come along as we help you hone the best view in your mirror. Good morning, good morning, good day, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. Hello. Yeah. Good to all. How's that, Kitty? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly hello. right. How about hello? How about hello? Just a simple hello works, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I was thinking about something. You know, we talk about what we do and how we do it. Give me some of your biggest challenges to working with a client. Besides you? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Everybody's was... got that one client, right? Yeah. I, I just had to say that. Um <laughs> My biggest challenge is helping a client. Uh, probably the biggest challenge is that when they hire me to help them or to consult with them, they actually are not listening to what I have to tell them. That's probably my biggest problem. And, and when I have, let's call it that little phone interview, when they want to know what I do and how do I do it, and if they're going to decide if, I'm going to help them. I can tell if they're ready to do something like this with me. Can you repeat that? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when you say they don't listen, let's take the ones that do and they hire you. Then what would be your secondary challenges when you're working? Like, I mean, maybe I'm looking for besides me, um, one of your toughest clients, give me a story about how you overcame dealing with somebody and what you, what their issues were. Um, it's usually psychological, Katie, because like, if you say, what's my toughest client, my toughest clients, when I start with them are probably my most favorite clients if they continue to work with me. And it's because when they hire me, they're thinking, why do I need her? Like, why do I need someone to help me with what I'm going to wear every day? That is the most ridiculous thing. But, you know, my, my boss, my counterpart, my friend said, you got to have Lisa Rubin help you. I mean, you've been there, right, Katie? Mm -hmm. And then they, when I walk in, if I'm meeting them in person or virtually, they have this attitude that starts. And then I start doing my thing. And they realize that, I'm there for different reasons than they thought I was going to be there for. And everyone kind of sees me as that personal shopper to start. Like, I'm just going to take you shopping. And when they realize that that's not really what I'm there to do, I'm there to consult you on your wardrobe and how you look and how you present yourself in the world. That's when they start listening. So when you ask me if they're difficult it's more of a psychological thing rather than a clothing thing. Because once I see the clothes in their closet and, and what fits them, 
I'm only going to show them clothes that are going to look good on them. So that's easy for me. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. And that, and that makes a lot of sense too, because generally you don't know what you don't know. Right. So when you're, when you're going through this process, people are thinking it might be one way until they realize it, it really isn't. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But I mean, there are people that I start with and I tell them A, B, C, D, whatever. And they come back at me and they are asking me questions that have nothing to do with what I just told them. That's my first clue that A, they're not ready to do something like this and B, they're not really going to listen. And, and so that's up to them to decide how they want to handle it. Sure. It's not up to me. Have you refused to work with a client because you felt they weren't ready? All the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing them a favor. I'm doing right. them a favor. Right. And they've come back. Like there's been people that have come back and said, okay, you are a hundred percent right. I'm ready now. And again, those are some of my best clients today. I mean, I've been doing this 39 years, so I have fired a few clients. I have. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I think that can be best for, for everybody, for, them. Right? for you, for them, yeah. for everybody. Sometimes we're just not the right fit for people. Well, absolutely. And also they're not going to, not that I know everything. When I say they're not listening, it's just that, just like you go to the dentist and they, you have a cavity, right? You can't fix your own cavity. You've hired a professional to work in your mouth, right? Well, that's the way I see myself. You've hired a professional to help you be the best version of yourself on the outside. Because when you look good on the outside, we know what's going to come out from the inside. It's going to be the better you, right? So once people understand that piece of it, then sky's the limit for them. Yeah, exactly. Plus the, the upside is the time you save from not having to weed through everything and going, what, I don't have anything to wear. Oh my gosh, nothing's looking good on me. You hit those times in your life. I think probably, I'm sure men go through this as well that, oh God, I just, nothing's fit. It's not feeling good. I'm not, I don't got my mojo. I think the, our clientele, our listenership is probably more geared to women who will experience some of those feelings, you know? Uh, And, and so I think having that process that you've gone through to curate with them is I'm all about efficiencies. It's efficiency at its best. And that's what I talk about all the time is you want to bring the efficiencies into your life because it gives you more back on the other end. If you can get out the door faster in the morning, if you if you can gain some more time at night, just in the processes you use in how your house functions when it comes to talking about space, you gain back time to do the things you love, whether that's spending the time with your family, whether that's sitting and reading a book, there's just a multitude of things, whether it's, you know, investing more time in how to make yourself a better you. And- exactly. Even if it's just like, if you're giving yourself an hour to listen to a podcast, <laughs> which <laughs> that too, right? All of those things help you become a better you. 
Right. You know, I just did um, the last couple of weeks, I, I did some corporates, you know, I was hired by a consulting firm and I did one session for men, one session for women. And I only had one hour for each. And I spent more time talking about the psychological piece of dressing than I did about the actual clothes. And initially, people were surprised at what I started talking about. They were expecting me to talk about fashion and trends and all of that. And I said, no, that's not what I'm here to do today. I have one hour and here's what I'm going to talk about. And by the end of these, both of these sessions, including the men, they were asking the best questions because I always leave time for questions. Such as what were the questions? um, Well, one of them, Katie, was I talked about the position of the clothing in your closet, which comes from you. And um, one of the women said, well, what should I be looking at when I walk in my closet? What is the pieces of clothing that I should be looking at first? And so I talked about that. But none of them had ever thought about that. And I said, you have a small closet, then put what's what you wear every day, you know, Monday through Friday first, and all the other stuff can go in the drawers, or can go under your bed or wherever you need to go. Because you're working, whether you're on zoom, or you're work- going to the office or a little bit of hybrid, you still need those clothes. We talked about shoes. You know, a lot of people don't keep their everyday shoes in their closet. They keep it at their mudroom or another place. But how are you keeping them there? Are they just thrown everywhere so that you're going to take the first pair because you can't find the ones that match? Or there's been clients of mine who have sent me pictures where they have two different shoes on and they get in their car and they go to the office and realize that they don't have the same pair of shoes on. So it's that kind of stuff that I actually spend time talking about and they were so appreciative of that conversation. Um, and I think it's just really important. I think it is too. And I, and I look at, you know, having been in sales organizations for most of my life, right. And, and sales is what drives. We're always, we're either selling what we do or who we are or sales play a part in it and how we market ourselves and all of that. And I think well, I've just completely lost track of what my point was going to be, which, geez, Louise, we've been going at this 10 minutes. It took that long for me to completely lose. But in talking about efficiencies and how you best set yourself up, and that's really so important in all of this. And I'm really perturbed that I lost this train of thought because it was a really salient point that I was going to make. Um, but I think you hit on it too. What you don't know, I know what it was. It's come back to me. If you're in a sales organization and you do sales training, right? You do sales training. If you've been in it the first year, if you've been in five years, 10 years, you set yourself up for continued education to keep yourself fresh and knowledgeable in that realm. It shouldn't be any different than when you're doing that in your in your life of how you're setting yourself up with what you're doing, things change over time, but ultimately they stay the same. You, you still want to be current. You want to be relevant. You want all of those things to happen. You need to do a little work on the back end to make that happen on the front end. Right. 
So that continued training and putting yourself out there to learn more. So bravo to the company that brought you in to do that because the appearance and how their people show up is only going to help their business in the long run. And what a gift to give their employees time with you. Yeah, no, it's, this is a client I've had for about eight years and, um, She's giving each one of her employees two hours of my time after I did these sessions. And I'm always impressed when people think this through because she's investing in her people and the way they do show up at work, whether it's by Zoom, whether it's in a meeting, now some of her people are going to start traveling. They're going to feel better in their clothes. Absolutely. And you're going to help them with packing. Oh yeah, we can be about more that. efficient. They're going to be more efficient when they get out the door. They're going to save those that time. I even yeah. talked to them. The biggest question that both of them had was dry cleaning, washing, pressing, ironing, steaming. Like we spent a lot of time on that because the men, the men just um, clearly are doing their own stuff, you know, and they had so many questions. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. And so that followed through with the women and they, they asked kind of the same set of questions because they're like, really, I have to dry clean it. So I went into that whole conversation. Um, And getting in those habits, getting in the habits and then having the place to put the dry cleaning in your home. So it doesn't become shoved in a corner. So you remember to do it and get in a consistent We talked about that, Katie, and I gave you all the credit. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate that. This is why we're such a good team. I love it. I love it. Quickly tell me this. Couple of the top podcasts. I mean, we've been doing a podcast now for three years and we're so appreciative, but we both love listening to podcasts too when we have the opportunity. So what are your top two or three that you've been listening to? Um, My top three is wiser than me, which is, I mean, it's a newer podcast. It is my favorite. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Julia Louise Dreyfus is incredible. And I just love everything about her. And when she talks to her mother, I mean, come on. Mm. Um, But her guests, I mean, there's one particular podcast that she has that I have listened to three times over and over again, because it has given me such good inspiration and insight into me as I'm in my early 60s. And this person is in her middle 70s. You want to share how she looks at life? Huh? You want to share who it is? Diane von Furstenberg. Oh, fantastic. It was it was so good. And and she did Jane Fonda. I mean, she was fantastic. They're all good. All of them. I recommend that one. And then Dear Found Her from Lindsay Pinchuk. Yes. Um, she's a powerhouse. She has the best guests on. I just really like everything about her and what she stands for. And um, By All Means with Allie Kaplan is another great podcast. And that's a local podcast um, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But I think people that aren't from Minnesota would also enjoy She's a fantastic interviewer, and I think she does a really good job. And a lot of fun. Yes, she's a lot of fun. 
listen, two out of those three people you mentioned on their podcast have been guests on our podcast. We would, like to, we would like to make that number three for three. So our stretch, if anyone's listening and can help us, is we want Julie Louise Dreyfus on our podcast as a guest. I just want to package her up and yes. carry her around for the day because she's just, she's just fabulous. She, she does it. She's a great interviewer too. She really is. She's just she really real. Is. She's real. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she's hit that point in her life where, well, I think she's always been there. She's a, she's all about bettering the ball, furthering the cause, really understanding from women that came before her. She's a no BS kind of person, really enjoyable. And honestly, I think Lindsay's the same way and Allie to an extent. Yeah. Uh, that's probably why those are the ones I listen to all the time. Yes. Yes. There I is would... one more that I really have in, been enjoying. Um, it's called Superwoman Wellness by Dr. Taz. Okay. And she's coming out with a book on hormone shift for women who are going, you know, through menopause and have left menopause. And she has some incredible guests on. So that's one that I just recently started listening to. And I really like it. Fantastic. How about you, Katie? Well, I would add it. I mean, the three that you mentioned are right up there for me. I'm listening to The Curious Builder with Mark Williams. He is local and does a fabulous job. I really love um, how, how I Built This with Guy Raz. Oh, I love that one too. Yes. I mean, that's phenomenal. I listen to This American Life. Um, you know, I've been playing around with uh, Flip Your Script is another one. I love Hidden Brain. Oh, I've I've listened to a few on that Hidden Brain. Yes, I have too. Yes, yes. So, um, we got to mention the All Star Networking Show with our friend Kathy Paper, and I'm enjoying Rashini Rajkumar's Crisis Files. So, I spend a fair amount of time in the car, so I'm all over the place. We are doing something a little bit different on this podcast. We have Lori LeBay with Alzheimer Speaks Radio, and I don't think there's anyone in the world who has not been affected or no someone who is affected with Alzheimer's and all that entails. And it's going to be lovely to check in with her. She has dedicated her life to this through her mother's diagnosis. And she's re recently written a book. She's a lovely human being doing very good work. So I'm really excited to talk to Lori and uh, see how she can educate us and open our minds to what's going on in that realm. So we're going to take a quick little break and be back to talk to Lori LeBay. Are you ready to elevate your jewelry and gift buying experience? Then you need Continental Diamond. Since 1981, Helene and Jimmy Pessis have been operating Continental Diamond. Their staff is highly trained, exceptional, and have been with them for many years, and they will help you find the exact right gift. For the past 13 years, Continental Diamond has been named Minnesota Bride's Best Jeweler. Beyond engagement rings, they have a large selection of fashion jewelry, timepieces, and they have one of the most experienced service departments around. You can visit them online at continentaldiamond.com. Go in and give yourself the gift of that experience. It's a special place located just 10 minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, right outside the West End. Plan your visit. Continental Diamond. Continentaldiamond.com. 
Lori, thank you so much for being with us. Lori LeBay from Alzheimer Speaks with all sorts of great information she's going to share with us. We couldn't be more looking forward to this conversation because I think it's timely. Well, thank you both for having me on the show. I'm just thrilled to be here. Alzheimer Speaks is your business. Within that, you're doing many, many things, all with the bend to educate, make aware, give people purpose. Give us the elevator pitch. When people say, what do you do, Lori? Well, I do a little bit of everything. My my number one goal is to be inclusive of all voices regarding dementia because I don't think we can make sustainable change and to educate people with the true stories of what is happening. I think the academic and the medical models are fine, but my forte is really grassroots and talking to the people that are living and breathing, you know, with this disease and their families, along with all the professionals trying to help them and leveling the, the playing field. So everyone's voice is heard and people have choice in terms of what mode is going to help them in their day-to-day survival with this disease. And are you seeing Alzheimer's being diagnosed earlier and earlier? Yeah, we're seeing a lot more people, even in their 30s and 40s, getting diagnosed. I don't want to scare people with those numbers, but there are children that are getting diagnosed with dementia too. So this isn't an old person's disease. And the face of dementia has definitely changed from, you know, when my mom and my my, um, grandma and my great aunt had this, you know, people visualized a person in a wheelchair drooling, sitting in a corner in a dark room, not talking. And now people are driving and still working and participating in life. You know, my mom lived with this for 30 years. This is not necessarily a short term disease. But in saying that, I will also say that, you know, people are still getting diagnosed probably later than they should, because there's still so much fear. Typically, a diagnosis takes two to three years to get because it, it can be masked by depression or midlife crisis, <laughs> lots of different things going on. And uh, so it's hard to pinpoint. So it's really important for people to look at all of the details um, of themselves and, and others in terms of what types of behaviors have changed you know, within them. And, you know, is this person doing this just to bug me that they want to get away from me and want to get divorced? Or is it because they really can't do a task they've done for decades anymore? And, and that's a, that's a big differentiation to make. You're talking about a relationship, right? That starts to look different. Yep. And a lot of times, you know, there's, there's many different types of dementias. The most common is Alzheimer's, but there's Lewy body where people hallucinate. Um, and that's just one of the things they can have fluctuation in body temperature. They can have um, difficulty in movements after a while. Um, there's frontal temporal lobe where their personalities actually change. So someone who was always sweet and kind might start being mean and nasty or vice versa. Uh, There's vascular dementia. Um, There's uh, some people get multiple types of dementia. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on um, in terms of what's out there, but those are probably the most common ones. And then you're hearing it about sports with CTE from the concussions and things. So, you know, life can really change. And, you know, I'm 64 
And so my brain doesn't process the way it used to. I mean, I don't remember a lot of stuff that, you know, when I was in my teens, when, when we were in high school, I don't remember things that I used to remember all those, you know, hundreds of phone numbers, because I don't have to anymore. It's in my phone. You know? <laughs> and you kind of look at it like that. So you have to kind of weigh out why, why aren't we remembering how to do something? But sometimes it's speech patterns that will change. Um, sometimes people will start talking kind of jibbery jabber versus, you know, having a fluid sentence. Um, hearing, you know, um, can really cause problems when someone's uh, not able to hear the way they used to. That's one thing people say, make sure you get checked uh, for your hearing, because when you can't hear, you'll pull out of a conversation. And so that could be masking some other problems. Uh, sometimes it's people will, somebody who's really social isn't so much anymore. Why is that? You know, is it the noise level that's bothering them? That can be a trigger for people with dementia. Is it that they don't like the people they're hanging with anymore? Or is it because you know, they're now quiet because they don't want to make a mistake because they know they're not clicking on all cylinders. So there's so many different variables that can happen. You know, they can have spatial issues where maybe they're um, not, when they go to sit, they're missing the chair or they're walking. And like my mom would be one where she would kind of tap her toe in front of her because she wasn't sure um, what was in front of her. If we went from asphalt to um, cement to grass, she would actually think that maybe there's a hole, especially like with dark colors, people think there's a hole in the floor. And so that can make, you know, you a little bit nervous about walking and your gait can change. Um, there's, there's so many different things that can be happening. And then in terms of the relationship, you know, how many times have you asked your husband or, or spouse or partner to go to the grocery store and they don't come back, even though you gave them a list of what, of what they're supposed to get? Is that just their norm? Or is this a change in behavior now where they're not tracking that anymore? So it gets complicated. It sure does. And it sounds like there's an awful lot of self-assessment that needs to happen, but also care in the relationships you have with others. Yep. And it's, it's really easy when we're in relationships, you know, for people to go, oh, they're just pushing my buttons. They know how to get to me. And when it comes to dementia, typically they're not capable of pushing your buttons. You know, they've lost that sequencing. And so, you know, a lot of times when we think someone's having a behavior, which is a term I would love to get rid of, I would like people to, instead of looking at it as a behavior, look at it as um, a need. They're asking for help. Something is off. And so, but they can't process what is off. So they're asking us to look for clues, you know, to look at that behavior as a reaction and why are they reacting the way they are? Something is off. And, and sometimes it can be as simple as, let's say you've got the blinds open and somebody's sitting at a desk um, or, you know, in their living room and they feel there's a shadow behind them and then they turn and there's nobody there and they're getting paranoid. Um, it could be very simple that the clouds have, have passed by and it went from bright and sunny to cloudy and they feel that difference. 
and they look and there's nothing there. And then all of a sudden somebody goes and closes the blinds and they calm down because that, that subtle change isn't occurring, but there can be paranoia on real simple little things like that. Wow. So when you got started, you really got into this because of your mother and your grandmother Correct. and your family members. Mm-hmm. Was it a fear of what potentially was coming your way or just your, what's your background? Do you have a background in? No, I, you know, I was a happy little camper selling real estate, <laughs> residential real estate for 25 years. Um, prior to that, I worked with developmentally disabled for about nine or 10 and, but, you know, I had a friend who said, Lori, go back in your life. And this is to me is just fascinating. And every five years, write down who was the most important person or the most important event that occurred in that five years from zero to five, five to 10. And when I did that, it really connected the dots for me. So when I was like 13 years old, my great aunt was in the nursing home and I'll never forget the day she didn't know who I was. She remembered my brother who my mom had to bring along kicking and screaming because he didn't even want to be there. And for two weeks, I like just bawled. I was like, how does she not know me anymore? You know, and that really stuck with me. And I remember screaming out one day, I don't want anyone to ever feel like this. And all I was told was, Lori, that's what happens when you get old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then when my mom got it, you saw different things and you saw people pushing away, even my own family, my brothers really didn't participate in her care because they were so scared of it. And they didn't want to deal with the emotions that are attached to a loved one's ability, you know, when they're changing like that. So it really, it, it came from just seeing and experiencing it firsthand But then actually who really pushed me into the industry was senior housing Um, and my colleagues there, you know, I did a lot of speaking and training for them on transitions for real estate. And then they started having me talk about my journey with my mom. And they said, Lori, you're not all doom and gloom and give me your money. You're about creating joy and continuing your relationship and empowering everybody. And so they're the ones that really pushed me into this space. And so let's talk about that. What have you created? If I have someone in my life or I feel I am in need of some methods to help, what am I going to find when I go to your website? Well, well, we do a lot of different things, but the thing that I'm most proud of is our free educational resources. We have one whole page just dedicated to that. So you can access our radio show where we interview people all around the world at all different levels. Um, you could be a guest, you know, reach out to me because everyone is welcome. Um, we have dementia chats where I facilitate a conversation with people actually living with dementia and they tell us what it's like. I mean, we have talked about everything from, you know, the new drugs to the Alzheimer's walks to our pets and technology helpful or hurtful to them, uh, to the to the moon and astrology, um, to worrying about their their family members in denial. And these are all videos people can access. We have um, dementia quick tips, which are things I learned as a care partner. We have information on memory cafes, which I was honored to be one of the first to bring those over from from Europe. 
And those are a support group that allow the person with dementia and the care partners to be together. We've always separated them in the past. And for the most part, we only were focusing on the caregiver, not with the person with dementia. And those, you know, there's over a thousand of those now. And uh, they're all over the world. It, they are absolutely fabulous. People say it's their lifeline. And they're all a little bit different. Each community sets them up a little bit different, but it allows people to have peers after their family and friends sometimes pull away because they're scared of the disease. Um, you'll be able to access Dementia Map, which is something we just created. Uh, my partner on that is Dave Weedrick, who has Memory Cafe directories for six countries. Um, but people can search 150 different categories. There's great blog articles. Um, we have a calendar of events. Um, there's terms because you don't know what you don't know. Uh, we have a poetry section. People submit their poems. And I push those out on the blog. Uh, we have arts and dementia where people, we do this quarterly. Uh, we interview people uh, with dementia. They share their artwork and they tell us how calming it is, how purposeful it makes them feel, which then reduces their symptoms. Um, you'll also find a, a new podcast. I joined forces with Lance Slayton in Michigan, and we're doing uh, conscious uh, caregiving with L and L and we do that only monthly, but we're hitting big topics. So, you know, we've talked about abuse. We've talked about seniors and driving this month. We're going to launch one on end of life. Um, we're trying to make conversations comfortable. Uh, they'll also find information on creating dementia friendly communities. I was lucky enough to partner with the Lutheran home association. We launched the first dementia friendly community in Wisconsin um, years ago. And now you know, all, here in Minnesota, we have Act on Alzheimer's, which is a great organization that has many dementia-friendly communities. There's also uh, Dementia-Friendly America. Um, again, I'm kind of a grassroots girl. I like to just kind of, you got an idea, let's get it off the ground and go. So I'm always looking for new things. Uh, there's tools people can download for free. Um, there's so much out there and it's confusing and it can be expensive. So we want to take that away. And then of course they do speaking and training and, and um, helping raise profiles of brands as well. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, oh. I'm divorced. I don't really have a life. This is my <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would say you've got a very big life that is a passion for, for giving back and helping Lori. My goodness. <laughs> don't short yourself on that one, my friend. Well, thank you. you but it, you, you have know, a big life. Well, you know, when, when you have a passion and when you don't get tied into a lot of bureaucracy, it's pretty easy to move forward, you know, because you don't, you don't have people telling you it's not possible or it has to be done one way or another. And I've learned over the years to kick two words to the curb, perfection and failure. Perfect exists for a nanosecond and then you have to, you know, redo it. Um, it's never, ever going to be the same. And so many people, I think, procrastinate waiting until something is perfect, and then they ignore it once they've created it. And I think that we should constantly be trying to improve whatever it is we have out there. And so perfect is doesn't matter to me. And, you know, and if I screw up, you know, you call me a failure, I don't care. I, I call it a learning lesson. It's going to make me better in the long run. And that's kind of how I frame life. Bravo. There's some strong pieces of advice for everybody that has <laughs> nothing to do with dementia. 
Well, you know, but the cool thing about dementia is, is what's good for dementia is good for all of your life. And I think that's one of the problems we have in this world is we've segmented and categorized things too much. And we think they're only good here. They're only good there. But all these life lessons, um, you know, are applicable throughout our lives. And at all ages and stages of our lives. Yeah. Amen. And when you think about it, you spoke a little bit about uh, depression before. Well, what what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, you know, still hasn't been answered. You know, and I mean, when someone gets diagnosed with a chronic illness, who is it going to be depressed? And when someone is not feeling well and going to the doctor and not getting answers, who isn't going to be depressed? I mean, so a lot of times people say when they actually get diagnosed, it's harder on the family than it is them because they feel like, oh, I'm not crazy. I was really starting to think I was crazy because no one was believing me because I I look okay. Oh man, don't I know it. You know, it's interesting having had a spinal CSF leak, which had a lot of the elements that you're talking about, the depression, but the memory issues, the speech patterns, the hearing, my writing changed, all of these things and getting my life back through surgery for me. But I often think about how many people are out there with Parkinson's into this in a way. I think there's alignment with what's going on in Parkinson's in all of this, because there's a level of dementia that comes through Parkinson's, right? Depending on how long you live with it. So there's so much unknown that really has to do with the brain and has to do the, with the elasticity. You mentioned something that I think we have to talk about, and that is giving people a purpose. Talk a little bit about the fact that you have people with Alzheimer's advocating. Oh gosh, this has been a wonderful thing. This was probably one of my most frustrating things on my journey with my mom. It's like, she's in the room, people. You can address her, you know? I mean, she lived with it for 30 years. The doctor said, five to seven. So, you know, they're preparing the family and everyone to say goodbye. Well, we would have been looking at our watches going, time's up, mom, come on, come on, you know, and not living life. And so what's been really fun is to help raise their voices. And so there's lots of different organizations out there. Um, Mine is not set just on raising their voices. It's, It's set on raising everyone's, but there is Dementia Action Alliance. Um, There's dementia minds, there's dementia mentors, where people can actually get mentored by a person who's living with dementia, because who knows the scenario better of how people are going to treat you, um, how you're going to feel about yourself, um, about the anger and the depression, and how do you pull yourself through those things. People living with all kinds of dementia are now speaking at conferences, their voices are being heard. Over in Europe, I'd love to still see us do what they're doing. They actually have them attend the doctor's conferences. And there's a person living with dementia at every table. And they'll have little breakouts. And the, and the doctors will rotate tables to be able to talk with different people. I mean, it's just because they can sit down. And I mean, even like on our dementia chats, you can look at a picture. You have no idea who has dementia. I mean, you can't tell it's an invisible disease until it gets further along. And I'm a big humor person. So I think you have to also bring the humor into some of this, don't you? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lessen the burden, if nothing else. Yeah. 
Well, and humor is one of the first things to go because when you're caring for someone, it's a serious thing. And, you know, you want to, you want to uphold your responsibility, but people forget humor is probably one of the major keys to any relationship. I haven't met a person who doesn't like to laugh and smile yet. Um, even that little, you know, scrungy person in the corner that looks, looks mad all the time. It's probably, they just haven't had an opportunity someone hasn't broken through to them. And so, you know, humor, humor is healing. Uh, You know, it changes our chemistry. Um, It's so powerful. And it connects us to positive experiences that we want to remember and we want to relive. And so it's very important. I'll never forget the time um, if I can share a quick story with you about my mom in her later um, years, she was, um, laying in bed. And um, it, it, in Minnesota, you know, our weather doesn't kind of stagnate for a long time, but it was like two or three weeks, we didn't have any sun, it was just dark and gloomy. And this day, we finally had sun. So she's in the nursing home. She has she's in a two person room. So there's a curtain between her and the other person who wasn't in the room. But I, I come in and the curtain is pulled and I can see through the curtain that my that my mom's laying in bed, you know, she's like five feet tall, 300 pounds. And I just kind of see this little belly laying on the bed. And I, I walk around the curtain and there's my mom and she's got her shirt pulled up underneath her boobs and her pants pulled down to her crotch. And she's laying, the sun's just beating down on her. She's laying in her bed um, with her eyes closed with this big, huge smile, like she's Garfield the cat, just soaking up the sun. <laughs> and she's just really happy. And I turn the corner and I see this picture of her. And I, I, you know, I had to bite my cheeks from not laughing and out of my mouth came, Oh, mom, do I have to pull out your bikini or what? And out of a dead sleep, she wakes up, she, she giggles, she looks square at me and goes, Oh, Lori, I don't think I should be wearing a bikini. And she goes back to sleep again. I sat on her bed and I rubbed her belly and I bawled like a baby for two hours. My mom hadn't said my name in over three years. Mm, And I didn't know if she still knew who I was. And in that moment, that humor connected us. And it was one of the biggest, most precious gifts I've ever gotten. And I remember as I was crying, literally, I felt God talk to me and say, Lori, you need to share this story. People need to know connections are never lost. They just change, Hmm. but you will never lose your connection with a person. So powerful, Lori. So powerful because it does that connection. It, it transcends time and space. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and I'll never forget that moment. I mean, there's many, many moments that we've had, you know, with my mom, I think of the time we were up at the lake and she, it was winter and she fell in the the foyer and and we couldn't get her up. And so Danielle, my daughter and I were trying to get her up, trying to get her up. My husband comes in, he's in a panic. This isn't funny. Stop laughing. And the three of us are giggling, trying to get my mom up off the floor. My husband's panicking and Tom and I are trying to lift her up and my mom, my mom couldn't follow directions. I'm like, mom, bend your knees. And she's like, okay. And she's bending her finger. And I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. So I'm telling Danielle, 
kick her legs down, kick her behind her knees because she was walking up the cupboards, you know, to the closet in the foyer as Tom and I are holding her up and her feet, she wouldn't drop her feet to the floor. And we were laughing so hard. My mom was laughing, but she wasn't scared. You know, if we all would have taken on the fear Tom had, it would have been horrible for her, you know, and instead it was just one of those silly moments of us working together and, you know, getting through. And then we sat in the living room and had a wonderful evening. (laughs) Patience and laughter. That's for sure. Yeah. I want to talk more about what you've done. I especially want to talk about the book. You've written a book. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to get a little bit more into who Lori is and what are the things she's done besides this. Stay tuned. We are with Bridget Edwards from Sheer Brothers Custom Closets. Bridget, let's talk garages. What are you seeing in garage storage and organization? Garage storage is always nice. It's especially nice if you don't have a mudroom to store all those things like your kids' sporting equipment and boots and all those kinds of things that end up in the home. So we can outfit your garage with all kinds of different storage units and cabinets to keep your garage looking tidy and neat. We also do slat wall. We do workbenches. We do mega shelving, which really holds tons of weight and provides great storage for all those garage type things. And the mega shelving designed by Share Brothers by manufacturing and the depth options and length options are so incredible that you don't have a lot of dividers. So it's really easy to use. It's exactly that. It can pretty much hold anything or any weight. And I really do also like the idea of not having anxiety every time I drive into my garage and have to look at the mess. So this helps with that. What's the best way for people to initiate working with Shear Brothers? Call or you can go onto our website and from there, a designer will be in touch with you and we'll get the process started. The website is sheerbrosclosets.com. Phone number is 763-531-7400. I would have to say that Shear Brothers custom closets helps you get your zen on great way to put it i love that and we are back with Lori lebay alzheimer's speaks radio you wrote a book i did i did um betty the bald chicken lessons in how to care only took me 10 years to actually get it out um but i think i think now is actually the perfect time for the book and if i would have launched it earlier i don't think it would have had as big of impact Now, this is a lovely book. It's in paperback form, but it's that larger format. Lovely. You've worked with an artist Mm -hmm. on the illustrations. And tell us a quick bit about what the story shares and then how people get a hold of it. Sure. Well, Emily Lund uh, was actually an intern from the University of Minnesota that I worked with, and she just did a fabulous job with watercolors. And then Scott Carlson is my co-author. It's been a keynote of mine forever. And Scott and I partnered just to help me get the book out of me. (laughs) And that still took us quite a few years just because of my schedule. But the book actually came to me in a dream. And one night, all I could could see and hear was Alzheimer's. I I would visualize it going across like a TV screen. I would hear the word and I would see this bald chicken. And I'm like, what? But I was old enough to know that if I don't get up and write the story down, I'm not getting any sleep. I'm just just going to keep playing. So I got up and I and I wrote the story down. And really, it's about a chicken. And I thought it was Alzheimer's and dementia specific. But 
really it's for anybody at any stage of life when you don't feel like you fit in. And dementia definitely does that not only to the person diagnosed, but to their care partners, but it can be used for bullying, divorce, death, chronic illness, addiction, all of those things. And it's, it's a story that makes us take a look really through a children's eye because it's written as a children's book in terms of how do we care? What do we do when we don't fit in to help ourselves? How can we help somebody else? And, um, you know, who do we want to be in life? And, you know, at the end, it comes down to, um, I won't go through the whole story, but basically there's, there's three different people. There's, there's Betty, the bald chicken, who just feels ostracized and pushed to the side. She used to fit in perfectly to the puzzle and now doesn't fit anymore. Um, and then there's the barnyard animals who were, were her community and her family that was part of that puzzle who have rejected her. And then there's the caring corral, a new community that she meets that embraces and loves her and doesn't care about, you know, her disabilities or how she looks or acts. They just accept and love her. And so, you know, to me, the story gets us to really reflect on ourselves. How many times have we been Betty? Because we've all been Betty when we haven't fit in in life. And we all know how horrible that feels. If we're honest, we've all been part of the barnyard and we've turned our back on somebody in need. And it might have been because we don't have enough time or money or energy or feel like we have the expertise um, but I know that people are also part of the caring corral where they've been there to rally around somebody and just love them, accept them, listen to them. And so to me, the point of the story is getting people to understand it doesn't make any difference who you've been in the past. It's all about who you want to be in the next moment that you're given, because we always have a choice and to look beyond ourselves and the impact that we have, the power of one, I think is just so critically important. You know, one person can make a huge difference in this world to one, one person or a lot of people, you know, if it's one person or if it's a lot of people, they're equal in my mind, you're still making a positive impact. This book is, I think, for everybody. I mean, how about, you know, people that, like you said, are bullied or everywhere else? I mean, I think it's a book that you could have even in a medical clinic to have people read while they're sitting and waiting for their appointments or mammograms or breast cancer or going through chemo or any of those, because I think it's very empowering for anybody. So... Well, and, you know, we have questions towards the back of the book that are that are meant to, you know, ask the kids to kind of get them engaged. And what comes out a lot of times is kids don't see what we see, you know, and I revert back to when my daughter was in kindergarten and we went to her conference and the teacher said, your daughter is so exceptional. She just helps everybody out. And I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. And I'm like, well, can you tell us a little bit more because, you know, I'm thinking she's not that special. I mean, it's like, that's how we raised her to be, you know? And she said, well, you know, there's, we've got one in a wheelchair and she's always over there ready to push them and get them to wherever they need to be. We've got another person who's kind of slow and she'll partner up and assist them. And I remember giggling when the teacher told me that and I'm like, that that's not special. And the teacher goes, oh, yes, it is. And I'm like, well, it shouldn't be. 
I said, that's how we raised her, not to see the disabilities, but just to help in whatever level that she could. And, and to me, I think as a world, we've gotten away from that and we judge people too much and we, we're not looking at them as a whole person. So, you know, I've had um, families talk about the conversations they've had the kids had the had with the kids over the book, but um, you know, I had one woman write in who was 84 and she said, I was bawling. I'm going to get emotional thinking of the times I was treated like Betty. Mm-hmm. Maybe yes. how I treat others and how I want to be treated and how simple it really is to change this if we're conscious about our choices. I mean, things don't I mean, have to be as complicated as they are. Exactly. I mean, what a great book to have in all these assisted living facilities. You know, they all have little libraries. That would be a great book to have on the counter if for someone to just read by themselves and feel feel a bigger part of it or maybe start something like a group thing within these assisted livings. I mean, yeah. And you could use those in a group format. You can read the book as an individual. You can read it as a teaching tool. Um, with a child and a child's probably going to teach us a lot. Um, there is one group called All's Authors who has a variety of books and mine is not one of theirs yet just because I haven't had time to apply. Um, but I, I promote these guys all the time. They, they have a, a big variety of genres. Um, but I remember getting one of their, they have kind of a, oh, I'm trying to think what they call it. It's, it's a selection of books and communities can purchase it. And one, I donated one to um, a senior housing and they said it was the coolest thing. It was sitting out and a family came uh, to tour the grandma and the kids ended up talking and the parents talking with the salespeople and the grandma and the grandchild sat and the grandchild picked up one of these books, children's books about dementia and was reading it to the grandma. And they said it was just so profound, just that interaction, you know, between them. Um, you know, we, we can all just do so much better if we just pay attention. We sure You're can. Right. Lori, Lisa's got some questions. I think are some of our, some of our usuals, maybe some others, she might surprise me. You know, I think humor is one of the things that Lisa and I keep always in the forefront because half the time she's ready to strangle me and then <laughs> she pulls it back. <laughs> All right, we're going to we're going to switch gears a little bit um, and we're going to I'm just going to ask you, how do you what do you do not for fun, but because you're very passionate about what you do. But when you're not doing this, what do you like to do? Like, how do you set up your day? Did you, are you always working? There's a lot of questions there, but go ahead. I, I work more than I should. And I'm trying to pull back from that. But it's really hard when you like your work, you know. Exactly. And, and with COVID, I got so comfortable just working out of my own space. I do miss, you know, going out and because I used to do a lot of speaking and traveling and stuff. I just got back from California. And I, I miss those, um, those conferences and, and being able to interact with different people and hear their stories. 
Um, but so much of that I've learned I can do via the internet and stuff now. Um, my day is weird, you know, like I mentioned, I'm not married, so I, I can work goofy hours. Sometimes I'm up till three or four in the morning working because it's just, it's quiet and it's still, and I just feel very connected at that time. And, uh, and sometimes I'll get up at six or seven o'clock, you know, even if I go to bed at three or four, other times I'll sleep in. My schedule is very, very fluid. Um, I don't even like with my radio show, people will say, do you have a, a calendar? And I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do these shows on these months or these days. And they're like, well, why not? And I'm like, because dementia is fluid and I want to be there for that, for that liquid sense of real life. You know, um, I don't want to get locked in. I don't want to promote what everyone else is promoting on a day because it all gets blocked out because there's too many people doing the same thing. I mean, I, I get that we have certain days for certain things, um, but I guess I'm just an odd duck that way. I, um, I always try to make time when people need to be mentored or just want to talk. Uh, I, I think that that's really important and they're shocked that I take the time, but you know, people took the time for me when I needed that. And I think it's important to be able to give back Plus, I don't think there's anything that's more fulfilling and energizing than talking with people who are passionate on a topic that aligns with you. I mean, to me, that is that's very, very energizing. Um, in my time off, I love spending time with my my family, my daughter and her family, and you know, three grandkids. I love going out for a happy hour or dinner or a movie. Um, again, don't do that as much as I should do. Um, but uh, you know, life is good. Life is good. And you've been at this for, so you've had Alzheimer's speaks for how long? Since 2009. So what's your revenue source? So my revenue source was primarily speaking. And then that kind of, you know, crashed and, and, uh, died during COVID. Um, but people, um, will will hire me for promotions and marketing as well um, with things uh, so you know they can advertise on the website um, we can do series on the radio shows um, we've done uh, lots of different different types of things and still do speaking and training can do virtually versus in person so you know that's that's a, a little bit of anything I'm, I'm always open sure. to stuff and then dementia map which is our our resource directory is a, is a revenue stream as well. We have, you know, people can have a free listing there, but then we have two paid ones that are very economical because we don't, again, Dave and I are on the same path. We don't think things have to be expensive if we work together uh, for the greater good. Yeah. You're all about getting that information out. Mm -hmm. So really Alzheimer's speaks, give us the idea of where to get all this information through you. So if they go to alzheimerspeaks.com, that's kind of the mothership from there. They can get to the radio show. They can go to the book tab. They can go to the, the free educational resources tab um, if they're interested in, in speaking. Um, and I do a variety of different types of engagements. I, I, you know, I, I've done things from town, town hall meetings to um, consultations with companies um, looking at how do we how do we get into this market how do we we're here 
but we're not, you know, our footprint isn't very big. What do we do for that? Um, so, you know, if they just go to alzheimerspeaks.com, that'll be, that'll be the best mode, but I'm, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and, you know, X or Twitter. I still, I still can't get over that change Instagram and things. So. And are you on there as Lori LeBay or are you on there as Alzheimer Speaks? What's the best way to get you? I, I would say um, Alzheimer Speaks. If you put that in, that'll, that'll get you to me. Yeah. And I have, you know, I have several Facebook page and Twitter accounts because people search different things. And so, um, you know, they might find me under a, a different brand as well with that. But Alzheimer Speaks um, or ALZ. Um, SK, uh, SPKS is a handle out there that they can, they can get me by. Okay. Now we got to ask, what was it like meeting Oprah? Well, actually I did not meet her. So, um, I was, I was, uh, named one of her health heroes. Um, but it was, it was pretty surreal because all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're going to set you up with a, a makeup artist and a photographer and you we've we've rented out this room it's got great lighting and I'm like what you know I've never done any of that stuff before so I didn't actually meet her um you know they had a writer call me and interview me and you know I I uh, I had done some things with um you know her editor and stuff when they needed some help they would reach out to me and try to find people to connect with and things but no, I wasn't actually on the show. It was just in the magazine, but still well, just in the magazine. Come on. You saw a little bit of how the, how the machine worked. Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, I remember a friend calling me and, and sending me a picture. She was at like a pharmacy holding up the magazine. I'm sending this to you right now, you know, and it hadn't hit the shelves here yet. And, and, you know, I still kind of pinched myself going, and I, and I asked the editor, I said, how did I even, uh, how did you guys even find out about me? You know, because I, I don't follow the Google rules. I don't do the paid ads. I don't do any of that stuff. Everything with me is kind of organic and word of mouth. And she said, well, actually it was Gail King who recommended you. And I'm like, Gail King, how does Gail King know about me? You know, and I still would love to connect with her on that as well. You know, it's just it's kind of amazing, you know, um, how people find out. I mean, I remember the first time Harvard called and wanted to be on the show and you just kind of go, wow, this is cool. But I don't question how I was connected. I just know it was meant to be. So what, what would you tell your younger self now, if you had to go back in time? I would tell her to to not put as much energy trying to convince those that don't believe in what you do and just go off and do it. I had larger organizations telling me I couldn't do what I did. It wouldn't be effective. And I, I'm so glad I listened to my friends, my colleagues in senior housing that said, Lori, you'll make a difference. And they believed in me. And I just took baby steps. And again, I, I wish I would have gotten rid of failure and procrastination sooner because I, I think it's, uh, for me, I would rather go to bed at night knowing I tried versus doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And so even if it's not perfect, which most of the time it's not going to be, um, it's still better than not doing anything at all. And, you know, 
it's important to be consistent, which I think I always was. You know, once I took a stand, I was like, nope, this is what I'm going to do. But don't be afraid for your voice to be heard. Don't be afraid to raise other people's voice and tell them what a great job they're doing because they need to hear that too. And then join forces with people that align with you. Don't think you need a certain title or a certain organization to be validated. You know, you we're all individual and we're all special, every single one of us in our own way. And no one can take that away from you. And, and I think I let people do that to me initially thinking, who the heck am I? I'm just a frustrated daughter, you know, and that kept going through my head, but a frustrated daughter with a lot of insights and it can't hurt to try guys. It just can't. That's true. Very, very good advice. You've given some names of organizations that can help. We do a nonprofit. And I feel like even though you are a for-profit, what you do is so life-affirming and giving back. And really, aren't we all, shouldn't we all be about aging well, which is what you're helping in so many ways. Talk about the organization that you've chosen to highlight for the nonprofit segment. They are called Dementia Together, and they're actually out of Colorado. But a good friend of mine who I met through the industry, Cindy Lazinski, runs it. And it is one of the best in my opinion, a well-run dementia-friendly communities. In fact, I believe they are still the only dementia-friendly community that has connected with the doctors in their area. And everyone who gets diagnosed gets a full packet of information. They have done um, some marvelous studies and programs that have been just absolutely exceptional from the B-Sharp program where they got tickets for the symphony and they would test people just with a few questions before the program and after the program to see the effects of that social engagement. They do memory cafes in person, in virtual. They have uh, some of the best conferences. I was in Colorado and I did a tour of, I think it was 14 different um, talks I did in like five days. And three of them were conferences. And two of them were very large organizations. And then there was Cindy's. Cindy's had the most people at this Dementia Friendly Together. The vendors were thrilled to be there. They got there early. They left late, which a lot of times doesn't happen at conferences. And we had to quiet the audience to start the programs. That's how much fun everybody was having. And they just do things on a whole different level. She is now training trainers in a new program that was from Europe called Speckle, which is an amazing new way for care partners, both family and professionals to interact. And it's a very simple, simple concept. And again, I think so often we make difficult topics complicated by scaring people even more instead of breaking things down into simple ways. So they're just, to me, cutting edge and absolutely fabulous. And people can find them at DementiaTogether.org. Thank you, Laurie. I love that they bring uh, the caregivers together and all of that. Their mission remains clear. No one has to walk the dementia journey alone. Committed to listening to the experts, those living with dementia, they continue to cultivate joy and build stronger connections for people living with dementia, their care partners and communities. So thank you for that. And thank you for giving us your time. It's been eye-opening and so important and 
heart affirming. Oh, wonderful. Well, I, you know, I can talk about this stuff all day long. It's just, it's such a need. And there is so much that each of us can learn from one another on this journey. So I just encourage people don't stay quiet, share information that you learn. So, you know, even on, on your program here, you know, listeners share this, there's people in your sphere that need this information that you don't know, because they don't even feel comfortable talking about it yet. And like you guys had said too, a lot of what we've talked about can be applied in all areas of life and let your voice be heard. Don't be shy. Your story can help somebody else out. hundred percent. Okay. And lastly, if people want to get a hold of Betty, the bald chicken, how do they do that? They can either go to our website, alzheimerspeaks.com, or they can purchase it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. I saw it was at Target the other day and any of the- It'd be fun to walk into Target and see your book sitting there. I know, I know. So, you know, and that might've just been a fluke, who knows, but um, I did, I, you know, I know for sure you can get it online and keep up the great work you're doing. Um, your show is just vital to hearing other people's voices and, and how they're moving through this crazy world we're living in. It's great advice that both of you, as well as your, your other guests give. So thank you. Well, it was, it was really nice to have you on and very eye-opening and thought-provoking and probably a podcast that people could listen to more than once. Absolutely. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. So that was really something, Katie. It's something that we might want to listen to again, or we might have a situation where we want to listen to her inspiration. She's quite the woman. She's really dedicated her whole life to this, really, at least since 2009, which is a significant part of her life. And I think when we find people like that, they deserve to be highlighted. And her biggest thing would be that we all learn from this. And if we can, if we can help someone, if we can connect someone, if we can make someone's burden easier, that's really what her goal is. And what a phenomenal heart of giving that she has. And that book sounds fabulous. It's so cute. My grandchildren love it. They absolutely love it. So there's that. And it's, it's an easy read. It's a fun read. It makes you think And it really is applicable to everybody. So plus it's very attractive. It's a cute little book. So again, thank you to Lori. Now you and I, we always love the feedback and our heart is for sharing what we've learned over 39 plus the years keep ticking off. Lisa. I know (laughs) I'm not getting any older. It's just, I keep working (laughs) one more year. (laughs) You're not getting any older. (laughs) No, staying the same. Name the same. Okay. Well, I would say instead of growing older, I like to say I'm aging well. Uh, aging well. Yes. That's a much better way to say it. Mm-hmm. I am aging much well. Better. And I'm going to continue to age well because I'm going to continue to learn and we're going to continue to share and enjoy and laugh. And I'm going to continue to drive you crazy. And if people want to get in on the fun, if they have comments or suggestions, reach out to us at theviewinyourmirror.com is our podcast. From there, you can get to either one of our websites and get to our emails. Also, we're really, um, LinkedIn has been very good to us as far as getting information out there. And we just cannot thank our listeners enough for 
their support of what we do. What we really want to do and what our passion is to give you the ability to see yourself through everyone else's eyes when you look in the mirror and know you are the best version of yourself. And that's what shows to everyone else. So until next time, thank you.